Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. Hurt is a universal part of the human condition. I mean, we all deal with it at some point or another. When my family was 13, we decided to adopt. Now, I was against this at first, probably because I was a teenage boy. I thought, you know, I don't know if I can love someone who's not of my own blood. And I also thought, because I was selfish, I'm the baby of the family. If we get a new baby, there's all my attention. But eventually I came around to the idea, and I got excited about it. It was around this time that a woman in Maryland um, decided that she wanted to give her son up for adoption. This woman had been uh, in a cycle of welfare and poverty, and her family wanted her to give up the baby, uh, to, to keep the baby so that they could get more money. But this woman, she wanted a better life for her son. And so she visited an adoption clinic and and wound up seeing a book of our family that we made just to support adoption as a choice. Well, once she chose us, we were really excited. You know, we started getting ready. We, We started getting clothes. Got little baby clothes, so cute. We got diapers. Uh, we, we even, we got a, a crib, pack and play, whatever. We set up a room. We, we got a home study done, and that takes, that takes months to get done. But we were ready, and we were so excited. We even gave him a name, Titus. I still remember waking up that morning with my mom and my brother at the side of my bed, crying as they told me that The mother had self-aborted the baby. She couldn't see a way out of her situation. She was facing pressure from her family, and she took what she thought was the easy way out and stabbed herself in the stomach. My brother's life ended before it began. I don't know what kind of hurts you're dealing with, But I'd assume that there are people in here who are hurting, and people online watching right now who are hurting. But but maybe your hurt looks a little different than that. Maybe your hurt looks like marital issues, and you and your spouse are so distant from each other. Maybe, Maybe your hurt looks like in the midst of all of this coronavirus, all of the uncertainty, you lost your job, or things have changed, and you don't know how you're going to get by. Maybe your hurt looks like um, family troubles, and it's weighing on you. Or maybe, maybe your hurt is that a loved one is sick, or dying, or has just passed. I mean, we all deal with it, and that's because hurt is a universal part of the human condition. But that doesn't make it easy. We're in a series uh, to this, these couple weeks uh, called Good Question. And as long as man has been able to speak, he's asked a question that 
Still to this day, we don't have a great answer to. And the question is, what can I do in my suffering? I think as Christians, oftentimes we think we're immune to it. We're God's people. We shouldn't be depressed. We're God's people. We should just be happy all the time, be joyous, right? But we're not. And, and as we search for this answer, we're coming up with nothing. Until we look at the Bible. I mean, the Bible is, is God's people for, from centuries. And, and, and if we can look in there and try and find a, a believer who struggled, maybe, maybe that's the solution. Uh, our scripture today is uh, from the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 13, if you want to flip there. The book of Psalms is a collection of writings, real, human, visceral emotion. And, and in this collection of, of praises and laments and thanksgiving, we find Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 is a lament psalm. Somebody voicing their grievances to God. But David, who, who is, is accredited to writing the psalm, it takes a very particular approach to God that I think if we, if we look at, maybe we can learn just what we can do in our suffering. In the first two verses, um, we find the psalmist in anguish, absolute anguish. Now, because of David's life and how crazy it was, I mean, when he was uh, just a boy, he killed a giant and fought in an epic battle. And then later in his life, he was hunted by the king. And then he became the king, but things still weren't great. And then even towards the end of his life, things were terrible. So we don't know exactly when this psalm is written about, but it's clear that he is hurting. In the first two verses, he writes this. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Sounds a little impatient. I mean, the psalmist in these two short verses says, How long, how long, how long, how long? Four times. He's clearly not happy about his situation. And, and he's saying, God, just make things better. How long until it's just going to be over? And, and he's impatient and he's not getting an answer. He doesn't know what to do. He's hopeless. There is a model in psychology. It's called the Kubler-Ross model, but you might not have heard of that name for it before. This model tracks uh, the um, emotional progression of people dealing with depression or grief or, or people that are dying. Uh, you might have heard the steps before. Uh, it's denial and anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And as we look at this psalm, I can't help but think that those, those truths about how people process emotion are displayed here in the psalm. And as we look at these first two verses, the, the idea of denial is pretty, pretty apparent. I mean, you have David here saying, God, have you forgotten me? Where are you? Just, just how long until it's over? God, I don't want to be in this, so just make it go away. 
He's impatient. He's denying his circumstances and just asking for God to make things better. And he isn't, or, or at least it doesn't seem like it. But, but David's also feeling something else. He's angry. And, and he's voicing this to God. And sometimes I think as Christians we think, you can't be angry at God. But David did. And David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, he said something so wild. He said, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you forgotten me? Am I going to wrestle with this every day? Are you hiding from me, God? He calls God out and says, I don't see you at all. Are you even here? He voices his frustration to God. I think we also process emotion with this denial and anger. To give you an example, I, I was once a kid, as you all are, and probably, or as you once were, and some of you are. When I was a kid, our family loved to go to the beach. The only issue with that is that the beach is so far away from southern Ohio, which means a long car ride. Now, if your family was anything like mine, your car rides probably went down like this. You know, you get into the car, you sit in the back seat, you strap your seatbelt in. It's a little tight, maybe. It's all right. Only be in here for a couple of minutes, right? And you start going, and you get a little uncomfortable. So, in a polite manner, you, you speak to your mother. Uh, are we there yet? Uh, to which your mother responds, no, we're not. We just left. To which you, you respond, okay, okay. And, and that satisfies you for, for maybe a few minutes. But then the thought keeps creeping in. And you think, maybe now, maybe now we're there. So you voice, voice it again. Maybe, maybe less nice. Hey, uh, mom, are we there yet? Once again, no, we're not. You just asked. And now, that, that answer did not satisfy you at all. So for a few more seconds, you're fine, and then... Hey, mom, are we there yet? And now she's upset at you. You're upset at your situation, and you haven't even left the driveway yet. It was a common occurrence for me, and it's, it's a funny situation unless you're in it. But I think that's what the psalmist is kind of doing here. That's what David is, is kind of voicing his, his frustration with God like that. Except his, are we there yet? Is, is how long? How long, Lord? And he asked God over and over again, how long? How long? How long? That would get annoying. But, but he voices it to God. He, he voices his frustration and anger at God, to God. Let me be clear. This is the right thing to do. When you're angry, especially at God, you have to. You have to voice it to him. Because if you bury it, if you keep that anger inside, it will only do more damage. It will make you more bitter. And there are too many bitter people in the world already. God wants us to voice it to him because when we voice our frustration, our, our, our upset uh, attitude at our situation, whatever it is, whether it's depression, whether it's financial issues, when we say, God, where are you? He helps us move on and move to the next feeling. And that's what he does for the psalmist. That's what he does for David. In the next two verses, verses 3 and 4, 
he goes from a place of anger uh, to something different. 3 and 4 says, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. The Kubler-Ross model, it follows up uh, anger and denial with bargaining and depression. At, at first glance, bargaining's pretty evident here. I mean, you have the psalmist going, look at me, God. All right, let's make a deal. If you don't help me, I'm going to die. I know, that's pretty bad right now. But wait, there's more. If I die, my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And, and that's more, more than just me, God. That's if my enemy overcomes me, the chosen king of Yahweh, they'll think they've overcome you. God, don't you see? You have to help me. Otherwise, it reflects poorly on you. He's, he's trying to make a deal with God, show him the importance of it, trying to get a reason. God, help me, because it, it, it's, it's so important. I'm your chosen king. And that's pretty evident, the, uh, the bargaining, the trying to make a deal with God. But underlying that, in these verses, there's another feeling. And it's sad. And it's hopeless. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. If you don't help me, God, I'm going to die. I look in front of me, and I look behind me. I look to the sides, and all I see is darkness. All I see is hopelessness. And people are going to rejoice when I fall. They're going to be happy that I'm gone. God, help me, please. There is no other way. It's hopeless. It's a hopeless statement. That's where David's at. Depression is a terrible thing. And many people suffer with it. I have suffered with it. And I would assume that there's someone else in this room, someone watching online that's also dealt with depression. I heard a story about a young Midwestern lawyer once. And this guy, this guy was a well-known sufferer of depression. I mean, it was so bad that anytime he would enter a room, his friends and family, they'd remove all the sharp objects because they didn't want him to hurt himself. And it was so bad, he's quoted with saying this, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not. I'm the most miserable man living. That's a bleak quote from a man who's clearly lost all hope. But this man's depression, his battle with it, is well documented. We know a lot about it. He suffered with it all of his life. But he also did some pretty cool things. His, his Midwestern lawyer, his, his law practice was so successful that uh, he was elected as the senator. And, and then he was elected president. And, and then 
he went on to accomplish something incredible when he abolished slavery. Yet the man who said, I am the most miserable man living, it's Abraham Lincoln. But how? How does a man who thinks that they are so miserable, they don't see any way out, how do they do great things? How does King David, how does he, he, he go on and do such great work for God when he can't see the way out, when all he sees around him is darkness? Well, we don't know about Abraham Lincoln, but, but David's, David's right here. He's voicing it to God. And he's doing something that is so critically important. He's, he's living healthily in the midst of his bad times. He, he acknowledges that he's in this, and, and it is okay if you are depressed. It is okay if you are suffering through something. God still loves you. But God also wants to use you. He still wants to use you in the midst of it. Just because you're depressed doesn't disqualify you from God's purpose. And sometimes we live unhealthy. Sometimes we push people away. We say mean things and hurt relationships permanently. Or, or we push off our relationship with God. And I just, I'm not in a good place right now, God. Maybe later. And that's unhealthy. And then when we're out of the depression, when we're out of the moment, we're left with consequences. Strained relationships with God, with others, with ourselves. But when we live healthy, when we take our burdens to God, then when we're out of it, we're left with rewards. And, and one great reward is joy. The joy of being faithful amidst our suffering. The joy of remembering God and his presence in the bad times. In the last two verses, if you don't hear anything else and you're suffering through some kind of hurt, listen to these two verses. Because when I'm suffering through depression, or when I've been having a hard time and I read through these, I weep. Because they offer hope. In verses 5 and 6, David writes this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I'm sorry, but... If you, like me, heard that and are wondering, how did he get there? This is a guy who was just saying, I'm so depressed that if you don't help me, I'm going to die. Or, or this is somebody who's saying, I see no way out. Help me, God. But I trust in your unfailing love. And my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I was confused. I, I was reading this and wondering, is this a different person? This is clearly not the same guy. So I did some research. And, and I looked into how these lament psalms are written. And what I found is, is really interesting. The, the first four verses are, are kind of the cry for help, the, 
the asking God to, to bringing it to God and asking him for help. And those are written, obviously, in the midst of the suffering, in the bad times. But the last two verses, the thanksgiving, the praise of God, that could be written days or weeks or months or even years after they've come out of it. After they have closure. After they have acceptance. And that acceptance is the last stage of the Kubler-Ross model. And, and I want to clarify, acceptance is not, I'm better now, everything's fine. It's not that. Acceptance is when you are finally able to see a light at the end of the table, or at the, at the end of a tunnel. It's when you're finally uh, able to, to come to terms with your situation and have hope. Know that things will be better. I think that's clear. The psalmist just dropped all of this bad feelings and all these worries. And then he goes, but I trust in your unfailing love. And know that you're there, God, even in the hard times, even when it seems hopeless. A, a while ago, I saw a cartoon. Uh, it was one of those corny cartoons that was really poor quality, had stick figure drawings and like low quality Christian music playing in the background. Uh, and it didn't mean much to me at first. Uh, but as I was writing this, I, I couldn't help but, but have it pop into my mind. So I went and tried to track it down. I got out my Nintendo DS, and I searched, and I found it. And as I was watching it, I was kind of blown away by how succinctly it puts this feeling, this moment here of thanksgiving, of realizing that God was there even in the midst of the hard times. In it, there is a man, and this man is on his knees, and he's praying, and he's saying, God, please, I'm in the midst of this storm, and, and, and I, I need you to protect me. I don't want to be hurt. And just then he gets hit on the back of the head with a rock. So he stands up. Ow. God, where were you? And then he turns around to walk away, and boom, right in front of him, standing with arms stretched out wide, 20 feet tall, is Jesus. And Jesus getting pelted by a storm of rocks. And he turns his head, to the man and says, oh, I'm sorry. Did I miss one? I don't know if that's the most theologically accurate uh, cartoon. It's probably not. But what I think it does do, and it does so well, is give you the ability to picture God's place in your suffering, God's presence in your suffering. I mean, David was the man on, his, on the ground. He's praying, God, I, take this away from me. How long until the storm is over? How long will I have to wait? I, I can't see in front of me. All I see is darkness. I'm going to die. And then he turns around out of it and sees God was there the whole time. God was faithful to him and protecting him. God was faithful to us too. He's there for us. In the beginning, we asked a question, which so many ask, and none have answered. And, and the question, what can we do in our suffering? 
rings in our heads, especially when we're in the midst of it. The psalmist, David, he, he knew the answer to the question. I mean, when faced with this terrible situation, he brought it to God. He knew he couldn't do anything about it because simply, what can we do in our suffering? Nothing. It's not an easy answer. And it hurts to hear. But that's the truth. Only God can help us. And I mean, he is helping us. He will help you. So we just can't do anything and we just have to wait on God? No. I mean, there are things we can do. We've talked about living healthily. What does that look like? That looks like having a relationship with God. That looks like maintaining the right attitude. That looks like, that looks like being in a community of believers, talking to each other, helping each other, living healthy. In the midst of your depression, when you're out of the other side, you're left with joy. And you will come out of the other side because God is faithful to you. God is faithful to you even if your spouse isn't faithful to you. God is faithful to you even when your money runs out. God is faithful to you when your family member dies. God is always faithful to you. When our family lost Titus, I was devastated. I hadn't even met him yet but he was my brother. I was angry at the mother for taking his life and then living. I was angry at God for letting any of this happen. Our family, we, we packed up all this stuff and we put our aspiration of adoption to the side. It was too painful. But God was still good. And God was still faithful. About a month later, around the time Titus was supposed to be born, we got a call. It was a call about a baby not 30 minutes away from us with a mother who was drug addicted and had three children of her own and couldn't keep him. She wanted a better life for her son. We got the call. And three days later, we brought him home. He is now six. His name is Max. He's sitting over there. And he is my best friend. God was faithful to our family. God didn't give up on us. No, God was there the whole time. If you don't know anything about adoptions, last minute, a spur of the moment, adoptions hardly ever work out. You have to have diapers, and you have to have clothes, and you have to have a crib. You have to have a, a room set up. You have to have a home study done. That takes months to do. But we were ready. Because God was still good to my family. God was faithful to us, even when we couldn't see it. Even when we lost hope. Even when our hearts were broken. God was working and was faithful. And he turned this terrible act into a lifetime of grace for my brother. 
I know it isn't easy to remember. I mean, when you're before the depression, before the bad times, it's easy to say, oh, cool, God is with me in it. That's great to know. And, and, and afterwards, hearing God was there, I knew it. I mean, he was faithful to me. That's great to hear. But in the midst of it, it can be hard. In the midst of it, hearing that kind of can run, ring empty. And it can be hard to believe when everything is going wrong around you. We think that since we're sad, God isn't making us happy. But that's not true. I've been sad. I've experienced sadness. But I've also seen how good God can be in the midst of that. God is faithful to you. He's faithful to you in the midst of your crumbling marriage. God is faithful to you when you lose your house. God is faithful to you when all of your family seems like it's against you. God is faithful to you when you don't believe in yourself. And God is faithful to us in the midst of depression, in the midst of grief. As you go out and deal with your hurts and grieving, you have to remember that. You have to live healthily so that when you're out of the, the bad times, that God can move you into a better place. But remember, God wants to use you here in the midst of it. God is there. He is faithful to you. He doesn't give up. He wants us to remember him. Throughout the Old Testament and the New, one of the most used phrases is remember. And it's an active thing. You're actively remembering God's faith and living like God is faithful to you. He is there for you in the hurt. We have a way to remember him and to remember his faithfulness every week. We take communion. So if you want to start peeling that back, it might take a while. And remember that God is there for you. That God is faithful to you. We have an active sign. Jesus Christ was the ultimate way of knowing that God's faithfulness to us would never die. God was so faithful that he made the ultimate sacrifice and gave up his only son, he, made, he, he had Jesus suffer for our suffering. He had Jesus hurt for our hurt. As you take the bread, remember that Jesus' body was broken for your brokenness. And as you take the juice or the fruit of the vine or whatever you may be drinking, Remember that his blood was spilled for your tears. God is faithful to you, and we have the ultimate reminder of that in Jesus. So remember, I'm going to pray for us as we uh, close out this time of communion. Dear Jesus, you are so good to us. We will sing your praises. We don't deserve the things you give us, your faithfulness. When we sometimes aren't faithful to you or to each other, 
but you give it. God, there are hurting people in this room and online and in the world and hurting people without hope. But you're the hope. Your faithfulness is enduring forever. You gave us Jesus. You gave us hope. As we go out, help us to live healthy. Help us to to turn around the way that we want ourselves to feel, to wallow in it, and, and turn into something great. Use us in the midst of our depression, in the the sad times. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.